Here's a few quick notes about the show. Southern Girl Crime Stories is a podcast focused mostly on lesser-known true crime cases, consisting of cold cases, soft cases, identified Jane and John Doe's, along with missing persons and murder victims. You can follow the show on social media, on Instagram at Southern Girl Crime Stories, on Twitter at SG Crime Stories, or search Facebook for Southern Girl Crime Stories. If you're interested in getting some merch, visit my YouTube channel, or you can donate directly via Venmo or PayPal following the links in the description. You can submit case suggestions to southerngirlcrimestories at gmail.com or DM me on social media. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories along with photos of victims, suspects, locations of murders, and more. James Jim Duckett graduated from Doss High School and enlisted in the Army. He served as military police while in the Army and served in not only Desert Storm, but also went to D.C. to serve in the Old Guard under Ronald Reagan. He also became a crime scene investigator in Germany before moving to the small town of Shelbyville, Kentucky to be closer to his family. Jim was described as a very kind people pleaser with a great sense of humor. On Halloween in 2008, Jim's house was burglarized and his jewelry stolen, prompting him to want to move. Nine days later, on November 9, 2008, his sister Catherine Nichols became concerned when he didn't attend church. She also tried to call him multiple times, but her calls went unanswered. She went by his house on Rockbridge Road in Shelbyville and noticed his truck wasn't there. She had a key to the house, but decided not to go in yet. When the next evening came around and she still hadn't heard from Jim, she decided it was time to go back to his house. Upon entering, she would find a horrific scene that would become embedded in her memory for the rest of her life. With her sister on the phone, Catherine found Jim's body tied to a chair knocked over in his bathroom. He was still connected to the chair and had been stabbed to death. His Dodge Ram pickup truck was stolen, but located at Jim's bank later that day. Surveillance video from the Shelbyville Fifth Third Bank shows someone using Jim's ATM card. Investigators were able to obtain video from the ATM, but it was unusually fuzzy and they could not identify the suspect. The last time the camera underwent maintenance, the lens was put back on improperly. His murder would later be compared to the 2004 murder of Al Kite, and it was speculated that the killer or killers were the same in both cases. Both men were bound and tortured with similar style knife cuts, and it was evident in both cases that the suspect was good at not leaving evidence behind. Both men's vehicles were stolen to drive to an ATM to steal money from their accounts, wearing a ski mask to hide their faces. The killer in Al's murder strangely beat the soles of his feet. The killer is believed to be associated with the Turkish Hezbollah due to the similarities in foot flogging techniques used on Al. Police have not said if Jim's feet were also beaten, but his sister did say his cowboy boots were on the floor nearby. Both men were left in their houses, Al Kite was left in a small basement room, and Jim Duckett was left in his bathroom. 
However, there is a significant suspect in Al's murder, but his true identity is unknown. A man calling himself Robert Cooper provided false documents to rent a room in Al's home that he had advertised for. On the night of Al's murder, the suspect showered, had a meal, and then left items in the sink filled with bleach, including the house keys Al had given him. Jim's sister believes someone in their small town knows who killed her brother and that it was likely some revenge. She thinks it was someone from the area he knew who had probably moved away. She also said that a personal item of Jim's was taken, likely as a trophy. Since her brother's death, she had continued to search for answers and even created a group for family and friends of those killed, known as Kentuckians' Voice for Crime Victims. There is reportedly a small amount of DNA from both crimes tested and allegedly belonged to the suspect, but no arrests have been made. The small light drop of blood found at Al's home was tested by Parabon, who then created a snapshot of what the killer would likely look like at age 25. Therefore, authorities have information regarding the suspect, fair skin with brown or hazel eyes and dark hair. A genetic genealogist has also successfully identified relatives of the suspect in the Balkan area. It is only a matter of time before this killer is identified. However, it is unknown whether Al's killer is the same as Jim's, despite its many similarities. Police do not believe robbery was a motive, and many speculate that the individual is a psychopath who enjoys the act of binding, torturing, and killing. Currently, Jim's killer has never been located, and this case remains unsolved. Anne Gottlieb was born in Ukraine to parents Anatoly and Ludmila Gottlieb on May 5, 1971. In 1980, at age 9, she immigrated to Louisville, Kentucky, and was fluent in English and Russian. On June 1, 1983, 12-year-old Anne left the former Bashford Manor Mall riding her red and white bicycle between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. She was headed back home in Gerald Court across the street from the mall, but tragically never made it. Three days later, a canine picked up her scent around a ditch near the mall and twice led investigators to the window of an apartment across the street. It was the residence of Esther Okmansky, the grandmother of Anne's best friend, Tanya Okmansky. Tanya was the last person to see Anne before she vanished, but her grandmother said Anne had never even visited her apartment. Officials eventually concluded that the dog was likely distracted by the smell of cooking food. The entire family was checked and all were cleared of involvement. There was also speculation that Anne had run away because she was having trouble adjusting to life in America. But her loved ones say that she would have confided in them if she was having issues, and if she had run away, she would have at least taken her money and favorite things with her. There were several reported sightings of her, particularly in the Brighton Beach neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York, which was a high concentration of Russian immigrants, but none of the sightings were ever substantiated. Many searches for Anne were conducted, and many tips came and went, but none led to any hard evidence. 
One frequent conspiracy theory is that the Soviet government had abducted Anne to force her parents to return to Russia, but both the FBI and the Gottlieb family dismissed this theory. Authorities soon had a few persons of interest in the case, but at the top of the list was former veterinarian Gregory Oakley Jr. Not only did Oakley live near the mall where Anne was taken, but he lived just a block and a half from the Gottlieb family home. He had also once abducted his stepdaughter and injected her with a painkiller to sedate her. In that case, he was charged with attempted murder, but eventually pleaded guilty to assault. Then, in September 1983, Oakley attacked a police officer's 13-year-old daughter in her home, stabbed her, and attempted to rape her, but she thankfully survived. Oakley was arrested for the crime in January 1984 and was then questioned about Anne's case. He denied involvement but failed a polygraph test and bank records proved he made an ATM transaction at the Bashford Manor Mall less than two hours before Anne disappeared. Oakley stated he left Louisville on a business trip immediately after he finished at the bank. Oakley then became the primary suspect when he was convicted of burglary and attempted rape and sentenced to 30 years in prison. He was paroled on medical grounds in 2002, returned to his home state of Alabama, and died of lung cancer that same year. Then in 2008, six years after his death and 25 years after Anne's abduction and presumed murder, a former cellmate of Oakley's was re-interviewed. He had served time in prison with Oakley and told authorities that Oakley had confessed to him that he killed Anne with an injection of the painkiller Talwin, a drug he would have had easy access to as a veterinarian. The informant passed a polygraph about his information, and Oakley's former live-in girlfriend corroborated the story. She stated that at 11 p.m. on the night Anne disappeared, Oakley came home and asked her to wash some clothes for him. This contradicts his story that he left Louisville that afternoon before Anne disappeared. Investigators stated that if Oakley were alive today, based on the evidence now available, he would definitely be charged with Anne's murder. The investigation into Anne's case was closed in 2008 with their primary suspect deceased, but her parents feel as though the case is still unsolved. They still live in the Louisville area and are hopeful that someday they will see the case issue fully resolved and have a gravesite to place flowers on. Michael Keith Gorley was born on December 22, 1976, to Jean and Sandra Gorley. Sandra would describe her only son as a hardworking, dedicated father. On May 17, 2015, at the age of 38, Michael was hanging out at a friend's house at 5050 Kentucky Highway 300, also known as Knob Lick Road, in the small city of Stanford, Kentucky. When his mother called the friend's house at 11 p.m., the homeowner told her that Michael was still there but had been acting up and he was going to beat his ass. Michael would never arrive home that night or the following day, prompting his mother and sister Jennifer Coffey to look for him. They arrived at their friend's house and found Michael's crocs and hat on the porch, but saw no other signs of him. However, they did see multiple people coming in and out of the home, acting strange and suspicious. One friend said that he had given Michael a ride to the store and they both returned home. 
The homeowner claims he never beat up Michael. Instead, not long after Michael returned from the store, he left on foot between 8.30 and 9 p.m., walking towards Junction City, about two miles away, wearing only swimming trunks. But the timeline didn't add up because, according to the homeowner, Michael was still there at 11 p.m. It was also strange that Michael would leave without his shoes. His sister and mother began searching for him, but none of the so-called friends would help. Since his disappearance, the occupants of the house that night have allegedly continued to change their story, contradicting their account of the night. Linda Price, mother of two, would go missing a few weeks after Michael, and she was in the same friend circle as he was, but it's unclear if their disappearances are connected. However, rumors began circulating in town that Michael never left the house alive that night and Linda was silenced for knowing too much. Another story was that he was killed for being an informant. He was released from a three-month jail stint related to drug charges just a few days before his disappearance. Michael's family believes he was murdered by people he knew and trusted, and they think they know who did it. Police also believe foul play was involved in his case, but no suspects have been named. His loved ones had hope when a man's remains were located in November 2016 that bore a strong resemblance to Michael. However, it was later revealed not to be Michael. His family has come to know that he is more than likely deceased, but they want to bring him home and lay him to rest correctly and for the people involved in his presumed homicide to be brought to justice. As of July 2022, Michael has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Kamaria Johnson was born on November 17, 2004. At 16, she was living in Radcliffe, Kentucky, and dreamed of becoming a doctor. On May 26, 2021, Kamaria stayed at her father's house as her parents were divorced. Her father would take a break from work and arrive home around 1 or 2 a.m. That's when the two of them got into a heated argument. Afterward, he left the house and returned to work. When he arrived home hours later, he discovered Kamaria was no longer there. He called Kamaria's mother the next day, and she told him he needed to notify police and give a statement. He called police and reported her as a runaway. Her mother said it was not like her to leave and not return or call. Her grandfather, Thomas McKinney, reported that a young man had reached out to him to say, A young gentleman uh, reached out to me and told me he had dropped her off at a store in uh, Meade County. He said he picked her up on the highway miles from her father's house and then dropped her off at that gas station. Days after she disappeared, surveillance video from the gas service station near the intersection of Kentucky 313 and Highway 60 in Hogwallow in Meade County showed Kamaria entering the store after exiting a white car. Her mother was shocked to see her daughter without her eyeglasses and said she couldn't see without them. After making a purchase, she was seen walking away from the gas station. Her mother said she had no phone or money with her, and sadly, this has been the last known sighting of her. Police reportedly questioned the man that dropped her off at length and was able to rule him out as a person of interest. About a week later, Kamaria's father admitted to her mother that he assaulted Kamaria and allegedly stated that he effed up her face. 
Her sons witnessed the attack on their sister and told their mother that he punched her and stomped on her face, kicked her out with only the clothes on her back, and threatened his sons not to let her back in, and he simply returned to work. Their mother later also found out that CPS had been called to his house about abuse several times in the past. Her mother hopes she is still alive and hopes she is in Louisville, Kentucky. Police say they have exhausted search warrants and all leads at this time. They've even sent authorities to both Tennessee and Arizona looking for her. Her family hired a private investigator, but they also have not located Kamaria. As of August 2022, Kamaria remains missing and this case remains unsolved. Richard Strong was described as a kind-hearted man. In 2004, he married Darlene, and the couple lived together in Hazard, Kentucky. Seven years later, in 2011, they planned on adopting a child and were in the final stages of bringing one home when something went horribly wrong. On February 18, 2011, around 3 p.m., 51-year-old Richard told Darlene that he was going to give a friend a ride home. Later that night, he went to a campsite on a strip mine above Highway 899 in Raven, Kentucky, to have drinks with a group of friends. At some point during the night, Darlene said someone came to her front door in a panic and said that Richard had been hurt and was missing, so she called the police, who arrived to investigate. Police found his car a couple of miles up another trail, just past mile marker 9 on Highway 899, but there was no sign of Richard. Due to heavy fog that night, the search for him was put on hold until the next day, as the area he went missing was very large and difficult to navigate. Witnesses at the campsite said that Richard had gotten into an altercation with one of the men at the campsite and was punched at least twice. They said he had been accused of stealing a wallet, and after the altercation, he simply walked away and never returned. Over the next few weeks, multiple searches were held with a dozen search dogs and several volunteers. It is speculated that someone else moved his car and the group knows precisely what happened to him that night. A few men there that night, including the man that attacked Richard, have since passed away. Darlene is hopeful that one of the remaining people there that night will eventually come forward and say what happened. His loved ones want to locate his remains to lay him to rest, but as of July 2022, he has never been found, and this case remains unsolved. Thanks for joining me today on Southern Girl Crime Stories. Please be sure to check out my YouTube channel for these stories, along with photos of victims, suspects, location of murders, and more. As always, your support is very much appreciated, and I look forward to seeing y'all next time.